Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm Jessica Kumar. In 2006, I first came to India for work and basically never looked back. My journey took me through learning Hindi, living in multiple parts of India, and after a few years, I met The Invisible India podcast isn't just a place where I share about being married to an Indian, being a foreigner in India, the language learning process, and cross-cultural parenting. But it is a platform to highlight the lesser-known aspects of Indian culture by featuring stereotype-breaking Indians making waves in society. So let's go. Headphone laga ke suniye hamare saath. Hello, sabko namaste. Main Jessica hoon. Today, Invisible India podcast brings you all about Indian in-laws. How to work, compromise, live together, enjoy life. If you are an outsider, a foreigner, or someone just from a different culture within India, who is now entering a relationship with someone from a South Asian background. Today I'm going to share a couple of my personal experiences, but also going through questions that I frequently get on my Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and other places on social media. So those of you who know my story, I'm an American. I have lived in India for most of my adult life, however. I was working in an IT company for the first several years of my career, about four years before I met Abhishek, who is now my husband. He is originally from Bihar. I am originally from Chicago. So I was working in India. I was able to pick up Hindi, uh, not just pick it up, but <laughs> intentionally learned through an immersion program and a course that I had taken. And I talk about that on other episodes, which you can check out on my YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and basically everywhere podcasts are found. If you want to hear about our love story, how we met, all that can also be found on other episodes of the show. But today we're really going to focus in on the in-law relationship and how do you merge yourself or two families in together when there are older people involved that may not have the same experiences as you or even their son or daughter who is now getting married to you. So let's dive in. Before we get into the rest of the episode, I wanted to chat a little bit about the Hindi course, Hindi Hacks You Never Knew You Needed. Today, release date May 10th. I just want to let you know you have almost uh, 24 hours right now to get the discount on Hindi Hacks. If you are subscribed to my newsletter, you can get a discount. The email will be going out tomorrow, a $20 discount on this course. It's normally $79, it's going to be $59. So if you get this today, feel free to go on to my website invisibleindiapodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter to get the discount. After that, normal pricing resumes. Let's talk a little bit about the content. I have just recently added the Hindi learner's guide to the course. I've also added homework assignments to the course. So some people were saying they uh, needed a little more guidance with some of the recordings and how to use them. I uh, was able to add a couple of practical homework assignments. One of the big questions I get about this course is, uh, why don't you focus more on grammar? 
Well, let me tell you something. (laughs) I purposely don't focus on grammar because that's what all the other courses do. And that actually doesn't help you learn to speak. The point of having a speaking course is to be able to immediately use the things that you want to start speaking about. So uh, that's why I would argue that a lot of other courses help you to understand and to dissect Hindi, but to actually learn to talk is an entirely different thing altogether. So that is why I'm focused mostly on speaking and comprehension for this first course. We are going to have other courses coming up. I'm planning on releasing a pronunciation course this summer. It is in the works now, so stay tuned for that. I want to read a testimonial from one of the students, Kat. She says, first off, I love your Hindi hacks. It removes some of the mystery about Hindi for me. I have loads of questions. After living in North India for one and a half years, it's helped me to clear up many curiosities. Plus, I've had Indian colleagues and friends from my previous job who I've been with for years. They couldn't even unravel some of my skepticism. Having an American English speaker who is fluent in Hindi and knowledgeable and embedded in the Indian culture makes a massive difference. I've taken one-on-one courses, group Zoom classes, read some of those old school Hindi language books and have several apps I'm learning from. No one mentions the intricacies that you provide, like using English fillers, which is one of the segments of the curriculum. It's a great start and I'm looking forward to your future hacks and classes. Thank you, Kat. I am really pleased that you're enjoying the course. For all the listeners, please go ahead and look at my Instagram. I've been sharing other testimonials from students that were coming at this from different directions uh, and how they've been able to utilize the course. We have about 50 students so far, and I uh, really encourage you, if you are interested in learning Hindi, uh, this is a fantastic place to start. It's really very different from other courses that are out there. One other announcement I wanted to make this week I released the Hindi Learner's Guide for Everyone. I had originally released one just for kids, which was on the site. Many of you downloaded that. And now I released one that has recommendations for books, movies, and a couple of different courses uh, based on your learning style, recommendations for learning Hindi. So you can download that. It is a free download on my site invisibleindiapodcast.com scroll down to the bottom or you can go to my Instagram uh, bio uh, right now May 10th 2022 it is the link in my bio you can download that for free I also have a really exciting uh, other download coming up which is my list of tried and true Indian owned businesses that are promoting Indian language and culture that will be coming this summer as well. I'm so excited. Can't wait to share it with you. All right, let's jump into the rest of the episode, all things about Indian (laughs) in-laws, part one. Thanks, enjoy. I get a lot of questions about my in-laws. My in-laws are very traditional in a lot of ways. I think some people, when they see Abhishek and how open-minded and how um, you know globalized, I guess, he is, people really get confused when they see my in-laws and, and say, well, how 
did he come from them? But if you're in that context, if you're in the Indian context and you see them together, you actually, at least I've realized over the years, how uh, really Indian my husband is <laughs> and how um, some of those super fundamental differences actually make a huge difference in your relationship. So um, my in-laws are very traditional, very, um, like my mother-in-law grew up in a village. The first time she rode in a car, she was 16 years old. Think about it. Most of us ride home from the hospital in a car. Uh, she would either take like a bullock cart or they would walk places, bicycle, things like that. Pretty crazy to think about, right? Uh, also in their village, there was not electricity. So if you can imagine growing up with that kind of a lifestyle. However, she's also very understanding. My in-laws are very understanding and they, they love their son. They um, really want their kids to be happy, and uh, but yet they also have very traditional values. So how do we work it out, right? I'm a very independent uh, Western person, but uh, how did we actually figure all this out in relationship? I just want to say that I am not the perfect example of how to have a relationship with in-laws. I think that uh, <laughs> that would be pretty foolish of me to say, but I just want to share some of my stories and then from what I've observed about living in India for on and off for 16 years, uh, what things I can share from my learnings. So one of the questions is meeting in-laws for the first time, the do's and don'ts. This is going to be a very wide range and I am not going to give you a rule list of what to do. What I would try to do is ask another person in the family, if possible. If you are a female, unfortunately, there are going to be other expectations, a lot more expectations on you than a male in most cases. I would say it really depends on how broad-minded the family is, how open-minded the family is, and um, how uh, well the, their son or daughter has introduced you um, and given them information about you. So most likely they're going to want to just meet you, see how your personality is, um, and then just find out more about you. So what do you do? And then, you know, people are most likely in most places in India, people want to know about your family. What do your parents do? What do your siblings do? Uh, what about your education? You know, these are very important things to uh, discuss. So I would run through those kind of question and answers with your partner ahead of time and say, I won't, you know, let's say you're a sports photographer or something that's kind of like outside of the realm of like doctor, engineer or normal things, but you're very successful. Or let's say you, you have, you, you, you have a, a farm, <laughs> right? In India, that's not necessarily a high class thing that people do, but maybe you're a very successful farmer. Maybe you have an organic farm in the state of Oregon. And that's something that they won't necessarily understand of like, oh, you can actually be a very modern person and have a farm, right? But working through kind of those question and answers ahead of time with your partner would be really good. What do you do? Um, what do your parents do? And uh, who's in your family? Those are kind of important things. Some of the um, uh, more challenging things that I find are that if, especially if you're a woman, you may be judged a bit more on your appearance, um, that may be the case. So just preparing yourself uh, mentally um, that uh, there may be comments about your appearance of uh, maybe your height, your weight, your skin color, uh, different things like that. 
So it, it uh, hopefully that won't happen, but if it does, just be aware that that is kind of how a lot of things go. Um, <laughs> it is not seen as rude in India to comment on other people's appearances. It's kind of made of, I'm noticing something about you which I don't think is good so that you can improve that. <laughs> I know it's very opposite for us Westerners, but that's just how it goes. Also, if you're a female, you might um, there might be questions about your cooking abilities um, and things like that. I'm sorry that that's you know kind of a sexist thing that we have to deal with in these day and age, but it may be a question. Um, and also, it might be uh, noted what you wear might also be um, noted uh, carefully. So I would just talk with your partner ahead of time. Um, it depends on what part of India your in-laws are from or if they've migrated, if they're okay with you wearing uh, jeans and a, 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 a nice shirt or a dress. Um, where my uh, in-laws are from, you know, my mother-in-law doesn't even own a pair of pants. She only wears saris. So obviously her idea is a little weird. I definitely wore a full uh, salwar kameez the first time I met them, uh, which was in India. So it depends. If you're going to India, definitely wear Indian clothes, if you can get your hands on something nice ahead of time, uh, I would definitely do that. If you're in a different country, a Western country or somewhere else, just kind of, you have to see what, I would say, um, what other women in the family wear. Maybe ask to see some pictures of other women in the family and see what kind of clothes do they wear in a more like fancy setting or trying to make a good impression. I think that's really important. If you're a man, there may be questions about your salary, how much you earn. These are just the things that sometimes people are judged by. Next question, how do you overcome a language barrier? I've shared this before and I think I will comment on this again is you don't have to be fluent in the same language to have a communication, um, to have good communication or to um, be able to have a relationship. Fortunately, for me, I had a very good situation where I had already become fluent, decently fluent in Hindi by the time I met my in-laws, and so there wasn't much of a problem. Although my uh, in-laws' accent and some of the vocabulary was very different from where I had learned Hindi, so I had to learn that over the years. Uh, but the main thing, I think, is are you trying? Are you making an effort? And in a kind of hierarchical society like India is, it's meant to, the elders aren't actually supposed to adjust to the younger people. In Western culture, you know, you, you try to go out of your way to bring your daughter on, son-in-law into the family, but in India, it's really like, you're joining our family, so you need to adjust to us. That is kind of the precedent. You might uh, have good in-laws like, um, who are willing to accommodate to you and um, want to bring parts of your culture into their family. And if that's the case, then you struck gold. Um, as far as a language barrier, I would say, you know, trying to learn or attempting to pick up some phrases can go a very, very long way. I That's one of the reasons why I started this Hindi course, because I really wanted people to be able to learn um, from an outside perspective and create those resources where people can learn a couple of common phrases before they go and meet their in-laws. Let's talk about another tough topic that some have said about meeting for the first time. In some families, many families, 
it's expected for younger people to touch the feet of the elders. And so one person had asked me, uh, where do you, how do you um, walk that fine line uh, of being disrespectful, but also maintaining your own autonomy as a adult? Um, in a Western culture, it would be, it's very weird for us to touch a person's feet. Uh, but in most parts of India, unless you're Punjabi, I know a lot of Punjabis do not uh, uh, let younger uh, women uh, touch the feet. It really depends on the family. In some families, it is very, 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 very common. Uh, in Bihar and in UP, it's super common for younger people to touch the feet of elders and uh, even older siblings sometimes. So in our family, Abhishek even touches his sister's feet. She's six years older than him. So it is just a, and I do too, and my kids do too. So it's just a common greeting. Um, it's a symbolic thing. So it would be like somebody coming to you and, and, and you meet them for the first time and they reach to hug you and you're like, sorry, I don't, I don't hug. It's kind of like a little weird, but you're like, oh, okay. It just kind of is, it breaks that warmth. It breaks the, um, um, the norm of, of, of what it feels like to have an, a greeting or an interaction. Um, I would ask yourself, why are you hesitant to do that? Does it mean that you're lowering yourself or you're degrading yourself? Is that how it feels? Have there been hurts in the past where you felt like you were being pushed down? Um, I would investigate what that means. And um, I would say that even over time, even if you do do something symbolic like touch their feet, that you can earn trust and gain respect from um, doing these little symbolic things which honor and then um, for lack of a better, uh, to be less blunt, uh, get your way later on with the things that actually matter. <laughs> the pressure to dress their way and have kids. There, um, those are two very different topics. Uh, the pressure to dress their way, I would say it depends on where you are. If you're in the US, if you're in Canada, if you're in a Western country, and if they're also living there, then uh, it, it just depends. You know, Wear what you want when you're not around them. And, and uh, for example, I don't wear shorts in front of my in-laws uh, unless I'm at a swimming pool or something. And, um, and even then I wear like a long shorts. It's just, it's just that they're uncomfortable in in that but uh do i wear a bikini other places yes i do <laughs> just not in front of them um it's fine they know that i do what i want when i'm not around them but it's just uncomfortable for them to uh you know see so much skin of their daughter-in-law fine no big deal i don't it's it's really not a big deal to me um so that's my personal uh thinking on it and everyone has a different opinion uh being that we live in india I'm totally fine wearing Indian clothes every day. That's what people wear. That's what feels best because it's freaking hot most of the year, so it's fine. And it really is a big deal uh, on what people, other people think. You know, if you're out um, wearing things that no one else is wearing, it kind of draws unnecessary attention. So that's been my approach is just wear what other women are wearing in the community and it works out. Now, if you're in the West and uh, you're, you're doing a meet meeting at an Indian party or something, uh, what would be the harm in wearing an Indian outfit if, um, if other, everyone else is? It's not like you're, you know, losing yourself in wearing a different outfit. 
it's just it's not like you're culturally appropriating if the family has actually requested or has given you a gift to wear that. I think it's perfectly normal and acceptable to wear Indian clothes if you are being given that by family members that actually really want you to wear it. Um, I don't think there's any harm in that. Now the second part of having kids is uh, India is an honor-shame society and having offspring is basically one of the ultimate goals of um, having a family and being a part of society. And uh, especially <laughs> one funny thing is that a lot of people, especially in Hindu family and, and some Christians, uh, having two children or less is ideal because it's having a lot of kids is seen as kind of socially irresponsible for the, uh, the standpoint that, uh, for the, the population, being that it's, uh, India is gonna be the largest uh, populated country by 2050, actually probably before that. And people are very aware of that, that you know we're having a population boom, um, poor people, quote unquote, uh, what others would say, are having too many kids, quote unquote, and, um, destroying our culture. That's one of some of the things I've heard. So, uh, and creating more poverty and things like that because of lack of uh, birth control and education, things like that. So having a lot of kids is not always seen as good, but having some kids is good. <laughs> so I would say, uh, you know, maybe uh, uh, giving good reasons for, hey, you know, we're trying to save money or we're trying to, um, you know, get it, buy a house or whatever. You can give a reason for delaying your decision to have kids. If you're not having kids at all, I would let your um, partner handle that. I would let your partner completely handle that conversation. I don't think it's something that you would need to get involved in at all. Um, he or she would need to know the reasons why they are pressuring so much and could explain that much better than you. Last question in this part of the series, then we're gonna jump to part two. Let's talk about kitchen tips. Surprisingly, this can be a huge topic of conflict. Clothes, children, meetings the first time, we've talked about all that. But actually talking about food. In India, in Indian culture in general, food is basically like one of the most important things. This is one of the last things that people will let go of if they're actually um, have immigrated to a different country is the clothes and the food. You might lose your language, you might lose uh, a lot of your rituals, you might lose a lot of other things, but your food is one of the most important things you hold on to. So I would say if you don't like to eat Indian food or, or um, struggle with it, find a couple things that you can eat and find a couple things that you can cook, whether you're a male, female, anything like that. Um, this is really, really, really important to um, connect with the culture, in my opinion. So um, kitchen tiffs happen, and I would say it's probably one of the biggest sources of tension in my own relationship, and I eat Indian food every day, and it's just, <laughs> and uh, I like Indian food, I cook Indian food, but it is a challenge to meet in, in that uh, exact way that uh, creates peace and harmony in the family. So one of the things that I would highly suggest is learning to cook, whether you're male, female, or anywhere in between, learning to cook a couple of dishes that your in-laws like, that you can make really well, putting in that effort and saying, this is a way that I wanna honor you, serve you, and just care for you as, as a person that 
hey, you like this and I'm gonna learn how to make it. Am I gonna make it every day in my own house? No, I'm not. But a just moving a little bit towards them goes a long way. Um, another thing, don't be too discouraged if your cooking is criticized. Because food is so important, so important, it can only improve if you're told what was wrong with your food. <laughs> um, I think it's really important not to take these things too personally. Again, are you trying? Are you making an effort? Don't take criticism too harshly. Don't take it too harshly. I'm going to end on this note. In my experience in India, if you are criticized about something to your face, take it in heart, move forward, try to make an adjustment if it's something that's actually correct, and just brush it off. If someone is correcting you to your face, it means that they actually have a relationship with you that they want to see go further and improve along the way. People will talk behind your back in a good way and in a bad way. They'll say, oh, that wasn't very good, this, that. If they're afraid of hurting you or if they're afraid that you may not take it well, they'll say it to someone else and then it'll get back to you. If they say it to your face, better. You will most likely not get praise about things to your face. This is an indirect culture. The way that you talk about people is more important than the way you talk to them. So if you're talking to someone directly and sharing your thoughts with them, that's a rare situation, especially if it's an elder and a, a, like a relationship in that case where you're the daughter-in-law or the son-in-law. Same thing goes with you. Talking directly to an elder and saying, I should have done this, you should have done that, this could be better, that could be better, and sharing your thoughts too directly um, could actually be seen as disrespectful. So I talk a lot more about um, the indirect communication factors on other episodes. So please go ahead and listen through those and uh, it'll bring a lot more clarity. So hop on for part two. We're talking about expectations. We're talking about conflict. We're talking about a lot more. Chalye. Achalaya. Aapne suna mere podcast. To aap aur bhi sunie. Subscribe bhi kijiye. Dhanyavad. <laughs>